Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go to 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel, let's start with chapter, chapter 15. Last week, I, I ministered a message on... Uh, the context of contentment, and we were talking about how God chooses, amen? And we, we identified that, you know, the prophet Samuel, when he went to select the next king of Israel, he's commanded by God to go anoint David. He had to first let go of Saul. And so we recognized that with God, in his selection process, we also equally have to understand his rejection process, that there are things God rejects. There are things God wants us to become uncommitted to and let go of and move on from. And I just found it interesting in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1 that before Samuel went and selected the king David, the shepherd boy David, he was mourning over the loss of King Saul. And God said to him, how long? <laughs> I feel like he's asking us that same question. How long? How long are you going to mourn over this situation, mourn over this tragedy, mourn over this brokenness, mourn over this, this person, mourn over this uh, challenge, whatever it is in our life, before we can move on to the next thing? And so the problem is, is if we are holding on to these things in our lives, it's going to limit us from being able to take hold of what God has for us. You know, the thing about God is he always moves us up. He always moves us forward, even when it feels like we're going backwards. Even when it feels like you're going backwards. God is a forward progress God. God is an advancing God. I love that about him, that he's always taking steps toward. So, and if we would just follow him, you'll get closer to your destiny. You'll get closer to his plan. You'll get closer to his purpose. There's nothing like following the steps of the Lord. It's the steps of the righteous that are ordered of the Lord. That means they're put in order. Maybe not the order you chose. Why didn't we just go get David from the onset? Why do we even have to go through King Saul? Why do we even have to go through? If God knew all along this shepherd boy, why did we even have to go through Eliab and Abinadab and, and, and all all seven of them. Why didn't he just tell Samuel, it's not going to be any of those guys. There's, a, there's this kid out there. He's the youngest one. He's ruddy looking. He doesn't, even look, he doesn't play the part, doesn't check the box. Why didn't we just get there? Because God wants us to get all of our bad decisions out of the way. We're mourning over all of our stuff. King Saul did not just represent the first king of Israel. He represented man's choice. God will let you make your choice. He even told Samuel when they wanted a king, when they wanted to, to have a king over them, he said, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. They're rejecting me as their king. They're rejecting me as their ruler, as their creator, as the one that can set their life in motion and, and has the greatest plan and purpose for the nation of Israel. They're rejecting me. Don't take it personal. But he'll let you choose your way. He'll let you choose your king. He'll let you choose what you enslave yourself to. He'll give you the warnings, but he'll let you make the choice as well. And they did. But in God's selection process, we found that he didn't just want to show Samuel who to anoint. He wanted to show Samuel how to anoint. He wanted to clue him in on this is how we select kings, right? Because the first one comes up, Eliab. Oh, man, this guy, he's tall in stature, broad shoulders. I mean, it doesn't say all that, but some, there was something in his outward appearance that told Samuel, this is the guy. He even said, surely, confidently, we've found the guy. The first one out the gate. How many times do we jump to the first thing out the gate? <laughs> oh, this must be it. And God said, no. No, Samuel, I'm trying to show you something. I don't select based on the outward appearance. I'm looking at the inward position of the heart. 
I look at the heart. I'm looking at, I'm choosing based on different criteria. I'm, I'm checking off different boxes than man's checking off. I, I have different uh, standards and different values to meet and to match. Don't lower your standards to the world's. Raise your standard to God. Amen. Well, I felt as as I was ministering and I was kind of thinking over what we ministered on last week, the Lord just kept showing me some more stuff about Saul and David and comparing the two. And um, the Lord told me this. He said, the criteria you think you had to meet to get selected is the criteria you will have to maintain in your life. Whatever criteria you think you had to meet to get selected, to get chosen, to, to, to meet the requirements, to, to meet the standard, to, to rise up to, then you will have to maintain those standards in your life. See, the problem is, is if we think we are being chosen on the wrong criteria, then we will constantly be striving for the wrong approval, for the wrong validation. Come on, for the wrong identity, for the wrong destiny, for the wrong purpose. And I want to show you this in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This was kind of like the, 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 the uh, hitting rock bottom for King Saul right here. 1 Samuel. You can find the trend. You can go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and find where God is already saying, I already regret this guy. I don't, I don't want the Lord to say that about me. But he said that about King Saul. He said, I, he, he said, I, I, I regret this guy getting in office. I regret this guy taking leadership of my nation, my people. And he even said back in 1 Samuel 13, he said, I've already selected someone chosen after my own heart. That means with my best interests at heart. We want to be people with the Lord's best interests. Not my purpose, not my agenda, not my plan. But you know, for Saul, he got in on the wrong criteria to begin with. We saw it last week. He got in based on his stature. He got, ba he got in based on his wealthy and powerful family he came from. He got, based on, he got in based on meeting the standards and the approval of man. He got, based on, he got in based on his appearance. He got selected based on the wrong criteria. And so it's no wonder that we see his downfall. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to begin with verse 13. If you remember at the beginning of 1 Samuel 15, God gives him a simple command. Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, he doesn't do that, does he? We know that he fails to follow the word of God. And in verse 13, it says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of God. How delusional is King Saul in this moment that he believes he's actually followed through with the plan of God. See, this is the thing. If you strive enough to meet your agenda and your plan or man's approval, you will eventually confuse it with God's approval. He's so delusional at this point, he, th he really believes that he has followed God's command. His response to the prophet Samuel is, I have performed, I have behaved, I have fulfilled the assignment God gave me, the command that God gave me. I have performed the word of the Lord. This is, this is a level of delusion that I hope none of us ever arrive at, that we confuse the approval of man with obedience to God. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel says, I'm actually seeing proof and evidence that you have not followed through with the command of God. I, I hear something contrary. If you had performed the word of God and utterly destroyed, I wouldn't hear anything right now. I wouldn't have all this stuff around. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The next step is he starts blaming it on the people. 
Why? Because I have to salvage my appearance. I have to salvage what I look like. I've got to salvage my reputation. So now he's striving to save himself. They, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And not only is he blaming the people, but he's becoming victimized by the people at the same time. Now he's, he's flipping it. The reason why I'm in this situation is because of them. If they wouldn't have done what they did, I wouldn't be standing here having to answer for a bunch of sheep and cows that are making noise and, and a bunch of people that are still alive and a king that is still alive. The king of the Amalekites. Not only is he blaming them, he's, he's become victimized by them. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, watch this. Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? He immediately speaks to his what? Appearance. Right? Because there was a day when King Saul was timid and King Saul was shy. And and it was really because he stood out among the people that he was called out from the people. But really in himself, this wasn't something he necessarily wanted. But again, he got in on man's approval. Therefore, he has to keep man's approval to remain validated as a king of Israel. You get in on the wrong criteria, then you have to strive to maintain the wrong criteria. Y'all with me? He says, when you were little in your own eyes. That means you didn't see yourself the way everybody else. You, you, you live with humility and you live with the heart that wanted to be obedient. You live with, with the heart that wanted to, to, to serve the Lord and, and do what pleased the Lord. But now you've allowed man's approval to get to you. You've allowed man's approval to become the criteria by which you live your life and make decisions and, and, and choose your steps. We got a problem. Verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Continuing to maintain his position of, I've done right. I obeyed. I followed through. I've completed the assignment. I did the right thing. He's so confused. Verse 21. But the people took of the plunder, sheep, and oxen. The best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he also has rejected you from being king we saw this last week that many times we fail to reject the things God rejects which moves us to fail to select what God selects if I don't reject the things that God has rejected I will never select the things that God has selected. The Bible tells even Romans chapter 8 tells us that our flesh and our spirit, they're at odds with one another. Meaning, we will never in our flesh and in our natural ability ever align with God's best interests. We have to recognize that your plans, my plans, our natural inclination will never align with what God is wanting to do or who God wants to use. I mean, how many times in our lives do we find ourselves in contrary positions to what God is saying, what God is choosing, where God is taking us? 
I mean, we could all probably say, if it was up to me, blank, 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 I would have married a different person. I would have been living somewhere else. I'd have a different job. Come on, you know following God takes you down a path that is contrary to what you ultimately want. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. Even Jesus in the garden said this statement. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. What's he saying? God, at this moment, your plan and my plan are not in alignment. But what was his conclusion? Not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Kingdom come, heaven come, on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. Your will be done. Your will be done. That's got to be the cry of our heart. That's got to be the cry of our heart. God wants to do so much through you. What gets in the way? Not the devil. Not other people. I'm going to show you today. You will have obstacles to fulfilling the plan of God for your life. You will have obstacles and challenges and, and even questioning and doubting when you start advancing. There will be challenges that will come up in your life that will want to cause doubt and unbelief and even questioning. I was just teaching uh, down in, in St. Augustine, Florida. I'm driving down there every Sunday now. And, and I, one of the classes I teach is a, a class called church leadership. And I'm teaching these students on church leadership. And I tell them, the first thing you have to settle as a leader in the church, the first thing, if you don't settle this, you're going nowhere as a leader in the church. The first thing you have to settle is you have been called by God. Period. You have been called by God. If you don't settle that, when the doubt, I'm not saying if the doubting comes. I said when the doubting comes. Not if the questioning comes, but when the questioning comes. Not if the challenge arises, but when the challenge arises. If you aren't convinced God call you, you will back out. You will go a different way. You will, you will find a better assignment. You will find something that is more suitable to your needs, to your gifts, and to your abilities. When God calls you, Immediately, obstacles and challenge want to come up and disrupt that and question that and challenge that in your life. And you will have to settle, no, I'm pursuing, I'm moving on, I'm driving on because God called me here. And if God called me here, nobody can take me out. That's the great thing about when God calls you. Nobody can take you out except for you. You're the only one that can disqualify yourself from the plan of God. And I'm going to show you. Nobody got in King Saul's way except for King Saul. Nobody stopped him. Nobody conquered him. Nobody defeated him. No one overcame him but himself. He couldn't defeat himself. And his need for approval from man. His need for validation from others. And the second he is in trouble, the second now he is being called out for not following the command of God, he's blaming the very people he ought to be leading. He's blaming the very people he ought to be uh, uh, taking into the promises of God. And on top of that, has victimized himself by the people. Well, if it weren't for the people, we wouldn't be here. And so Saul, he is trying to save face. That's where he's at. Number one, he's trying to save face with Samuel. He's trying to save face with the prophet. Number two, he's trying to save face with God. He's trying to, he's literally trying to convince God, I have followed the command. I have done your word. I have, I have, I applied it. What, what's the problem? Oh, that was the people that did that. He's trying to save face with Samuel, the prophet that chose him. He's trying to save face with the God, the one that he's supposed to be serving. And look at this. Let's keep on going. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed 
their voice. Now we're admitting it. So first he was trying to save face with Samuel. I did it. I obeyed. It was the people that did this other stuff. Now he's finally, okay, I, okay, I transgressed. I, 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 didn't, I didn't follow like I was supposed to. But now he's trying to save face with the Lord. Now, he, now he's trying to become sorrowful and repentant. And he admits, I feared the people. What, how does that quote go? If you fear people, then you forfeit your right to lead them. And obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin, trying to save face with the Lord. And return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now he's trying to salvage this. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to you. He's given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's not what a king wants to hear. And also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Now watch this, verse 30. He tried to save face with Samuel. Now he's trying to save face with God. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned. Yet, honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He's trying to save face with Samuel, with God, and now he's trying to save face with the people. Notice in this whole presentation, this whole rebuke, this whole addressing your sin and your disobedience, what has he tried to salvage? His appearance. Well, how do I look before Samuel? I obeyed. How do I look toward God? Okay, I transgressed. Okay, I, I, I didn't do the right thing. I listened to the people. Now he's, trying to, now he's trying to salvage his appearance before, but at least just come and honor me so everybody at least thinks I'm still this good king that I can do the right thing. That, 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 so the people will believe in me and the people won't, won't judge me and the people won't reject me. It's his appearance. Why? Because he got in on the merits of his appearance. So to stay in, he had to maintain his appearance. This is a problem. If we believe that God has chosen, selected, called us on the wrong criteria, then we will strive to maintain the wrong criteria. And some of us are stuck there. We're, 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 we are so consumed with trying to prove to others that we haven't even stopped to ask God, do you approve of me? What do you think? I think it's time that we reconcile that we are really only in this for the audience of one. The audience of one. Now last week, you need to go back and listen if you missed it. Because we've already... We've already uh, fulfilled, we've already established that God has chosen you on different merits than what the world would choose you for. You've already been approved. If you are in the kingdom of God, if you are born again, you are a child of God. There's nothing you need to do to prove to God. There's nothing you need to do to perform for God. There's nothing you need to alter so God will love you more. So God will accept you more. So God will believe. He knows who you are. He created you. He established you. He placed you. He called you. What do we say all the time? That God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. There's a process to get to the point where I can do what God's called me to do. But the basis upon which God chose me is not a proving to him. He's already done that for me. When his son died on that cross, not another drop of blood needs to be shed. Not another nail needs to go in his body. Not another stripe needs to go on his back. Not another sword needs to pierce his side. Not another crown of thorns needs to be placed on. It is finished. It has been completed. You are approved. You are in the kingdom. You are a child of God. You are citizenship of heaven. Live from that. Work 
from that. Believe from that. Oh, if we could just see ourselves the way God sees us. Oh, if we could quit living enslaved to the bondage of man's approval. Quit living in the slave, the slavery, and the bondage. I know in, in our world today, we have, the, the, we have an opportunity to project a completely ulterior identity, don't we? It's called social media. And what people see on the other side of that screen was recorded, was played, rehearsed. You know you took that picture 17 times before you finally decide, and you're still not even happy with the one you put out there. I'll Show me your camera roll right now, and I'll see the whole screen full of images. No, not good, no. Before you finally land it on one that you feel conveys enough to the other side of what you want to project. But to the God, the God that sees it all. To the God that knows it all. The Holy Spirit that's living and dwelling inside of you. That knows the deep things of man. He knows the thoughts. He knows just like we were ministering to before. He knows those things. You're not hiding that from him. You might be keeping it from God. But you're not concealing it from God. You might not be giving him access to it. But he knows. He sees it. And he wants to touch it. And he wants to heal it. He wants to deliver it. So King Saul, he's living for the appearance. He's living for what people see. He's living for what they think. He's living for their approval. And he's in a position, I've got to salvage how I look before Samuel. Okay, you got me. Salvage how I look before God. Okay, I repent, you got me. But at least don't make me look horrible to the people. Honor me now before the elders. What's he caring about? He's not caring about the things of God. He's not caring about true sorrow and true repentance. Contrast that to David when he got caught. And if you know, if we just want to play the comparison game, what David was caught with was far worse than. I mean, we can still kill all this stuff. In fact, Samuel did. what David did. Put that on the newspaper tomorrow about the local pastor, televangelist, sleeping with another man's wife, impregnating her, and then having the husband killed. Oh, that's, that's awful stuff. The tabloids couldn't even handle that. There's, well, you would break the internet with that report today. From the highest leading officer in the nation of Israel. <laughs> but his response was a lot different, wasn't it? It's not about the failure, it's about the response. Am I just trying to save face? Am I just trying to keep my image up? Am I just, I don't, I don't want people to know, please, please. Look, some things, they, some things people don't need to know. They don't need to know your mess. Don't start, don't go from here, all right, Facebook world, I need y'all to know about. No, please do not. No, delete that post, delete that tweet, let it go. They don't need to know all that mess. But if we're so caught up with bearing an image rather than taking on an identity in Christ, he was selected and chosen on the wrong merits, therefore he had to work to maintain posture of our heart should be priority over the posture of our appearance. The posture of our heart should be priority over the posture of our appearance. We know that God chose David, 1 Samuel chapter 16, on the merits of not what his outward appearance looked like, you know, I was thinking about this last week too. Think about how much pressure had to be on the prophet Samuel. This is now his third attempt to select a leader and a ruler 
over the nation of Israel. We saw that last week. He first put in his two sons that were not candidates. He failed there. And see, the people didn't reject his sons. They rejected his choice. They didn't just reject his sons as the leader. They rejected Samuel's personal choice to make them leaders. And from there, they say, we want a king. He goes and he finds King Saul. This is now his third attempt. Think about the pressure. Okay, th- strike three, that's it, man. I don't get another chance. I mean, my, 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 prof- my prophetic ministry is on the line here with this choice. With, I got to get this right. Oh, man, Eliab, man. God, thank you for making this easy because, you know, I, I, if, if this was going to be a guessing game, or, you know, because he didn't tell them who, right? He told them the town to go to. He told them the father to go to. He told them it was going to be one, but he didn't tell them who. He gave them all the details except for the most important one. <laughs> God's good at doing that, isn't he? He's specific on stuff that's like, you know, I could have done without all that. I need some specifics here. It gives me vague information. So Samuel's thinking, man, I can't miss this. Boom, Eliab. That's the next king, man. That's the guy. He looks it. He looks the part. And what does he do? He falls right back in the same formula that he did with the last one. Appearance, height, stature. This is the guy. God says, no. I'm not selecting based on outward appearance. I'm selecting based on the heart. Oh, the heart. God, you're the only one that knows the heart. So he goes to the number two. Nope. Number three. Ain't it? Number four, number five, number six, number seven. He's starting to get some sweats because we ran out of everybody. This is the family. Jesse, do you have any more sons? It's got to be in this house. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, I, he's out in the field. Get him in here. What do you, I said, bring your sons. But nobody cares. Think about the pressure when David shows up. And God says, this is him. And, and Samuel's thinking, how am I supposed to take this back to the people? I've been commissioned to assign the next king. And we just ran through eight, through seven candidates. You bring me down to this little kid coming in from the shepherd field all dirty and nasty and smelling like sheep poop. I mean, what do you think he smelled like? He came straight in from the pasture. Dirty and that doesn't fit the bill. It doesn't check the boxes, right? How am I supposed to take this back to Israel and say, this is your next king? Thank God he followed through. Anoint him. He will be the next king of Israel. Well, we know that David didn't immediately become king, did he? That's what you and I would have done. I'd have hopped on the back of Samuel's chariot and said, let's go. Take us on, man. I'm ready to sit on that throne. I'm ready to eat that food. I'm ready to have people serve me and bow down to me. I'm ready to make some decisions and take our people to war and and win some battles. Let's go, man. You know, chop, chop. Come on, Samuel. No, he goes straight back to the pasture to serve his dad. Then, almost the very next passage, he gets called upon by King Saul to play the harp for the king that he's supposed to be replacing. What's that called? That's called heart. That's called heart. That's called, those are the merits that God is looking for. The next king is one that will serve the very king he's supposed to be replaced. The next king is one that will go right back to his dad's, right back to his dad's pasture and continue doing what he knows to do until he gets the next command. Amen. So look at this in First Samuel chapter 16. I want to start with verse 10. And I want to give you Three things that David had to confront after being chosen. Because we've already established God will choose you not based on the merits of man, 
the merits of God. Which means that it might not look like the right choice to man. So you're going to have some questioning, you're going to have some doubting, you're going to have some challenging. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, it says this, after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Verse 11, there is still the youngest. He doesn't even call his name. He just says he's the youngest one. Don't you hate that? When people know you more by what you do or what you don't do or what you don't have instead of really knowing who you are. I mean, David here, he's not even being identified as, oh, I have another son. I have the youngest. He's the youngest. That's what we call him around here. I mean, think about that. Oh, David. No, they're still the youngest. But right now, He's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. At least somebody recognize. That's all you need. You just need one person to recognize there's something about you. There's some, all you, you, do, you do not need the majority. You don't need everybody to like you. You don't need everybody to think you're the greatest thing on the face of the planet. You don't need everybody to agree with you. You just need one person in your corner that says, we're not doing anything until this person figures it out. We're not doing anything. So the first challenge he had was his father. His father didn't even value him enough in the family to bring him to the anointing party. Didn't even value him enough Basically, his dad said, "Ah, we're never going to get that far. Here's my seven sons, the youngest one, number eight, out in the field. You know, we don't even need it. There's no point in bringing him in. It's got to be one of these others. The first challenge he faced was his father. Didn't even bring him. Then we get over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is after he's been anointed. And it it moves us on to the battlefield where King Saul and the nation of Israel are camped. And there's a, a, a Philistine giant named Goliath, right? And he's called him out. He said, bring out your best warrior. Bring out your best fighter. If he beats me, we will become your slaves. If I beat him, you will become our slaves. And for 40 days, they're just out there hanging out too fearful and too afraid to fight this guy. Well, David gets sent on a mission to deliver food to his brothers. Three of them are on the battlefield fighting. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26, he shows up with this food. And David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. Look at this in verse 28. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Now remember, Eliab was there and witnessed David getting anointed. He saw it with his own eyes. He watched the prophet pour that oil on David's head. He watched the oil run down his head and down his beard and down his body and down drip onto the ground. He watched that process take place. He knows this is the Lord's anointed. This is the next chosen king. He knows, but yet he responds, why did you come down here? Why did you leave those few sheep Within the wilderness. Or who did you leave those few, sheep, those few sheep with? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. He even went as deep as to question and challenge his character. The internal posture of his heart. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's the people the closest to you. 
that have the hardest time believing in you? That you have the hardest time convincing God has called me, God has assigned me, and even when they've seen it, and even when they know it, I'm reminded of Mark chapter 6 when Jesus went back to Nazareth. It actually starts in that chapter by saying that they saw the miracles and the signs and the wonders, and they heard the way that he preached and the authority he preached with. But yet, they came to this conclusion. Isn't that Jesus? Don't we know his mom and his dad, and the carpenter and, and Mary, and, and we know his brothers and sisters, and they came to the conclusion that even though he's doing those things, and even though we're witnessing those things, he's a God just like us. And Jesus said, a prophet isn't without honor except for in his own hometown and among his own people. And all of his ministry, and all the people he preached to, and all the people he taught, and all the miracles and the signs and wonders and the people that saw deliverance, the people he had the hardest time convincing was the ones closest to him that saw him in diapers, that saw him growing up, that knew that he built furniture for them, that knew his parents and knew his family and, 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 and knew where he came from and knew his background and knew his history. Look, it's the ones closest to us. And those are the ones that hurt the most, I know. You could give a rip what Joe Blow, uh, you know, halfway across the world comments on your post. Who cares? But it's when the ones in our own house don't believe in us and we can't convince them. But, but this is what David is being confronted with. So far, his father hasn't believed in him, didn't even bring him out. Now his oldest brother, who was there and witnessed the anointing oil go on his head, is challenging him and confronting him. He said he became angry. I know the arrogance in your evil heart. Jump on down to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 31. 1 Samuel 17, 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And so he had David brought to him. And David said, To Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. So now the third person that he's confronted with, challenged with. He has the face that's doubting who he is, what he can do, what his ability. Now remember, King Saul, he's very familiar with David at this point. King Saul, I mean, David's coming in and playing the harp for him. David is, you know, David isn't just some young kid just walking off the the pasture, delivering, you know, meat and cheese, and, and, and then just, he ran. David, Saul knows who David is. And now the next, the, now the king of Israel is challenging and questioning his ability to go and fight Goliath. I mean, you, you know, you think David at some point will start to get a clue, right? Well, maybe, maybe I can't do this. I mean, my father didn't believe in me. Eliab, I mean, he, he's telling me I don't belong out here. Now I got the king saying, you know, I'm just too young. I don't, I don't, you know, what, what, what can I offer? What can I do? Just the third one. Well, then you jump on down to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 41. The Philistine, as David approaches Goliath, came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was, here it is, just a youth, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And he cursed David by his 
gods. This is the fourth one to challenge David, to question his ability. To, this is the fourth. So now the enemy he's facing is now challenging, you're not even an appropriate candidate to come fight me. This is the best you have? We've been out here 40 plus days, and then you send out a, a, a young little shepherd boy? You got to be kidding me. I mean, this is an insult. I don't even feel threatened right now. And I want you to notice, all four of these individuals challenged David on one thing, his appearance. <laughs> the one thing Saul was trying to apprehend and achieve. And David not once is moved. Why? Because God chose a man after his own heart. Because God chose a man not based on the outward appearance. And see, this is the thing. Is the thing that God didn't use to choose you are the reasons why people wouldn't choose you. Yeah, that's right. I didn't choose David because he looks the part. Because he has the size. Because he's older and mature. I didn't choose David because he's a warrior. Because he's a fighter. Because he knows how to, uh, uh, you know, carry a spear and a sword and a shield. And because he's, he's been well versed in warfare. I didn't choose him because he knows how to lead. And I chose him because he has the right heart. I can take care of all the rest of the stuff. But what we're recognizing is... Outward appearance is never a, a substitute for inward position. Outward appearance is never a substitute for inward position. You can have all the talent, all the gifts, all the abilities, all, all the charisma, uh, uh, achieve all the status, all the prominence, all the fame, all the wealth, all the achievements you want in your life. You can have all the stuff on the outside, but if you don't have the heart, you won't be able to fulfill the plan of God for your life. Because if you believe you got in on the wrong criteria, you will have to continue to serve that criteria to maintain the position you're in. And David said, Dad, I don't have anything to prove to you. Eliab, I don't have to meet your agenda. King Saul, I don't have to meet your criteria. Goliath, I don't care if you think I'm a threat or not. I don't think if you, I don't care if you think I'm a candidate or not. I don't care what you think. Because he stood in his identity. Not in what others thought. Not in other people's approval. Not in other people's validation. See, this is why you got to understand God's selection process. How is God choosing? How is God calling? How is God appointing? Why are you in the position you're in? Why are you in the marriage you're in? Why are you the parent that you are? Why are you running that business? Why are you over that organization? Why are you carrying that ministry? Why are you doing the things that God has called you to do? Not on your merits, not on your ability, not on people's decisions, but because God called you. I don't have to measure up to man to fulfill the plan of God for my life. And this is the thing. If I will get my heart right before the Lord, he will develop me in all the areas I need to be developed in. Because King David, he ended up being the best king the nation of Israel ever had. He ended up becoming a mighty warrior. In fact, after this battle, we no longer see David carrying a sling and stones. There was a period where the, the sling and the stones carried him. In fact, in this moment, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 38, look at what King Saul tries to do. And Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. Why? Because people that are insecure and people that get their value and self-worth from their stuff and their appearance will try to put that on you too. What is he putting, why is he putting this armor on David? Because he's insecure himself. You ever notice that, that people will project their own insecurities onto others? 
That's what King Saul's doing. He's trying to, at least, David, at least you can look the part. At least you can go out there with, 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 with some armor, with the sword, give you some kind of fighting chance. Look at what David does. He puts it on, strapped his sword on over the military clothes, tried to walk, but he was not used to them. Don't try to be what other people want you to be. Don't live your life trying to measure up to people's standards if you're not used to it, if it's out of your box. If God hasn't assigned it to you, you have no business trying to wear it. I can't walk in these, he said. I'm not used to them. David took them off, and instead he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's back. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. But you know what's so amazing about David's life? This is the last time you see him wield a sling. From this moment on, he begins fighting with a sword. There will be a season in your life you'll transition from what got you in. And God will begin to develop your gift and develop your ability to take on things that are greater. But you start with where you're at. Don't pick up the sword until you're ready to release the sling. Amen? Our approval, our plans, our agenda, what others think, what others believe. That's not going to fulfill your life. You're going to be like King Saul, chasing and chasing, striving and striving, doing. I watch people bent over backwards trying to get their parents to believe in them. Grown adults still fighting for dad's approval, still fighting for to hear those words, I'm proud of you. I watch them. You have a father in heaven that's proud of you. You have a father in heaven that's called you, assigned you. He believes in you. He cares for you. And he's put more destiny on your life than you will ever come to know or imagine. Just step into what he has for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.